This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Jouar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Jouar, and today is Wednesday, July 31st, 2019. My guest is the awesome Elena Stone of Geekspin. Hi, Elena. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, good times. Um, we have a lot of stuff on the list today. Last year, or last week, I mean, was a very quiet week. And I had Ken Young of Flipboard on the show. And we didn't really have too much to talk about. We kind of spent a lot of time talking about the Apple Intel thing, right? And it turns out that that at the time was still kind of in the process of happening. But now it's actually a done deal. So um, I just wanted to mention that real quick. Get that out of the way. Apple purchased Intel's 5G modem or modem business in general for a billion dollars. That's a 2,200 employees. What are your quick thoughts on that? Apple really doesn't want to work with Qualcomm. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I feel the same way. I mean, it's look, they have, you know, they've signed an agreement with Qualcomm to work with them for like five years or something, right? So I, I think, and also they need Qualcomm right now because if they want to do 5G, there's really only three players in the world. And I'd say two and a half. There is there is Qualcomm, of course, and then there is Huawei. As you know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and especially, I'm not sure how, I think Huawei has millimeter wave, but nobody's ever tested it. So I don't think we know. Uh, and then there's MediaTek, which is awesome. And we're going to talk about it later in the show, but MediaTek is only doing sub six right now, mid-band. So I, I, I think they're, they have to go. But you know how they did the eight series chips and they're kicking serious ass and they're awesome? Well, they need to make their own modems in-house. Ultimately, this is what it's about, right? And it makes sense for a long-term strategy. Absolutely. Do you think they'll pull it off? Because that's, I mean, making a CPU is one thing. Making modems, like, it's like voodoo magic science, you know, radio stuff. So I don't know. Mo uh, Intel's struggling. That's funny that they're buying the underdog, right? Well, I was thinking the same thing because I had forgotten that Intel even made modems. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Uh, right? Poor, poor Intel. Um, they really just failed when it came to the phone business. Uh, but I guess that's better than starting from scratch. Yeah, no, look, it it makes sense. If you have the kind of money Apple has, a billion is kind of not a drop in the bucket, but it's like a bucket, okay? It's not a pool. Um, and so as such, I think that, um, you know, why not? Why not try to seed your own in-house so you can be self-sufficient? It makes perfect sense. And, you know, based on Apple's earning results yesterday... I would say they're doing pretty well on services, so they don't have to worry too much about hardware anymore. I, I mean, obviously they do because they go hand in hand. But remember how last year they really did push that they would go forward with services, and that seems to have worked. So uh, should we move on to the next thing? Let me sure. see. Yeah. Oh, Galaxy Fold news. So this is getting a little old because it came out right around the time we recorded last week's podcast. But the Galaxy Fold is set to relaunch in September. Do you have feelings about that? Oh, Samsung. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are just, I mean, it, it's, you know, the struggle is real. Um, they, they keep coming out with, like, cool products and then just failing on the implementation. Um, I mean, it's great that they, they pretty much recover, they're recovering from this pretty quickly um, and that they do have a release date that's only a few months after that whole fiasco. Um, but, you know, I'm not holding my breath. Let's see how it goes when they launch in September. I think it's going to be a very quiet launch when it happens. I mean, what are they going to do, right? Like, it's just, it's kind of a mess, the whole thing, frankly. 
realistically, who's going to buy this? Um, it, it was already it was already such a niche market because of the price. Um, but now, even those like early adapters, like why? Excuse me, early adopters. Why would they want to spend so much money on something that's probably going to break? <laughs> like, I feel like the luster has already rubbed off of this device. Yeah, I mean, right now they had to ship something to save face and it's going to be hopefully good enough to not be a complete mess again. But then they're probably going to like be super, you know, stealth about it to make sure that they can focus on all the rah, rah, rah on two things. First of all, the Note 10 next week, but also then the the uh, the Fold 2, which I'm sure might even be called something else, but that they probably have been working on already for quite a while and is going to be their next generation foldable, right? And that's really what I'm more excited about. Me and too, honestly. I, I hope that that's a lot more affordable and a lot more pocketable and uh, a lot more uh, rugged. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, let's see what they pull off. I mean, remember the note, right? I mean, the first note wasn't a failure, obviously, like we didn't have to return review units, um, you know, and all that weirdness. But it was a lot of people were scratching their heads going, this is never going to fly. And, and look at us now, right? I mean, we're having the, not the 10th version, because obviously they've skipped some versions here. But um, the, what, the 8th, the 7th generation of the Note launching next week in New York. And you'll be there and I'll be there. So we'll get you tons of coverage, respectively. But... Um, I don't know. I think um, I think it's interesting that they finally. And, and I remember also what was interesting is they announced this this news about relaunching in September. It was like nine p.m. on a Friday or Thursday night, Eastern time. Like it was like we really want to get this buried in like the talk, the you know the talk show host evening news stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's funny. Well, it's kind of it's a little embarrassing for them. It's <laughs> it's well, like an it is, awkward. But, I mean, look, I if I. I I don't know, like, you know, they messed it up. But the thing with Samsung is they seem to mess things up, like the Note 7, right? But then they're, like, so weird about it afterwards. It's like, you can't be weird. You mess up, you fest to it, you do a better job, you and you go back on a rooftop and say, we did it, we fixed it, we're sorry. And they don't do that. They're like, ooh, Weasley, blah, blah, blah. I think it could be cultural, but I, mean, I would say an American company probably would do the same thing, you know? I agree with you. They should just own it. It's like a weird cultural thing in general in corporate world that like you if you fail like it's a bad no it's like you you learn and you make a you try not to fail the next time and just go go out there and just be yourself it's like it's just weird it's like ah it just rubs me the wrong way but it probably rubbed T-Mobile the wrong way too because they said sayonara Samsung we're not going to carry the fold anymore that to me was a really big blow to me, that's like an FU because you know how they're the ones who discovered that the screen protector thing could peel and they put a note. They're the only ones, the retail package for the Fold for Timo had a little sticker on the screen that said, do not remove the protective layer on top. So their in-house testing found that this could be an issue. Whereas the Samsung units that the journalists had had not didn't have that sticker. Now they might have been pre-production and not have that sticker, but you know I think Timo was really gung ho about it, and they got the carpet pulled from underneath their feet, and they're like, "Not again, Samsung." Oh, well, I think T-Mobile's being smart, um, but for Samsung, this is really bad news, especially with the the, the recent merger announcement. I mean, T-Mobile is about to be an even bigger player than it was before. Uh, and they just said to Samsung, we don't want your phone. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and you know, I don't blame them because look, they were going to sell 10 of them at $2,000, right? Uh, and they're probably, I mean, okay, let's say they were, uh, let's rewind. So let's say they were going to sell a hundred of them at $2,000 before the bad, the bad news happened, the fiasco happened. Now they're probably going to sell 10 of them, right? So like, why would they care? It doesn't matter. Plus the note yeah. 10 is going to be the big news very soon. And I think they probably want to put their marketing eggs in that basket, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, like, and for them, it's just sounds like a headache, like a customer service headache. Why do yeah. they need it when there's probably not much margin on it? And so the only other carrier who was going to carry the fold was AT&T. And they have been crickets. It's been like on their end. And I'm like, wow, like they don't even want to say anything. Hmm. I, don't I guess know no one wants goes. to upset Sam. Well, at least AT&T is too afraid to upset Samsung. Either that or they're just... Um, quote unquote evaluating the situation because you know they could pull out too and then the fold would only be available unlocked from from Samsung. And honestly, since it's a two thousand dollar phone, perhaps that's not the bad a bad way to go, right? I I think that that probably should have been their strategy from the get go. I think so too. But you know how the carriers are so important to the US market. Uh but so, really someone know. who's buying a two thousand dollar phone is probably the type who would be buying it unlocked anyway, and they're not buying it through a carrier. That's just my opinion. No, you're you're right. I I agree one hundred percent. Speaking of T-Mobile and and Sprint, um, I mean, I just want to bury this this fold news as well. Um, but we're going to go back to Samsung in a second to talk about the Note Ten. But speaking of T-Mobile, the Department of Justice approved the T-Mobile and Sprint mergers, and I have a lot of feelings about this, and I'm wondering what you think about it. Um, well, I, I think I'm, I'm hopeful that this will have a positive impact um, for, for T-Mobile and Sprint customers. Uh, you know, T-Mobile has said that it's going to have a positive impact, but I'm still somewhat um, hesitant to believe that because, you know, until we, until we see the new prices and, and how things will change, it's really, really hard to say. Um, but I, I think it's definitely what Sprint needed. Sprint really needed this. Um, they just have been struggling with their network for such a long time and, and their, their customer base. So this is what, it's great for Sprint. Um, but personally, I'm a T-Mobile customer, um, and I'm curious to see how this will, will affect me. And I'm exactly in the same boat as you. And this reminds me a lot of like, in a kind of a reverse way, like a mirror image way of the, um, Virgin America, Alaska merger. Um, but the other way around. So I am a T-Mobile customer in this case, and my concern about Sprint joining with T-Mobile is twofold. I, I love T-Mobile the way they are today for their pricing, their customer service, and things like internet, free international roaming, and really nobody else can touch this. And the fact that you get full-speed data no matter what plan you get, I, I discovered, in, and I'm, I want to apologize to my audience because it, this is something I should know as a mobile tech reporter. But I discovered recently by doing speed tests side by side with a friend of mine, um, I have my OnePlus 7 Pro in which I have a Verizon SIM that I got from Verizon for some other device at some point. And uh, I presume has like a good high-end data plan on it since, you know, they probably want to give the best experience to reporters. And my friend who has an iPhone XR with Verizon and she has terrible LTE performance and she was asking me about it. She's like, my tethering is super slow and I can't seem to get 
really good data speeds. I was on AT&T before, but you know, she's on a family plan, so the whole family ported over to Verizon and her performance sucks. And we did side by sides and her phone was systematically a tenth of the speed on my OnePlus. Wow. And I thought for a second, maybe it's, you know, Intel versus Qualcomm modems because the, the 10R has an Intel modem in it. So we swapped SIMs. I put my Verizon SIM, the reviewer Verizon SIM, in her phone and her SIM in my OnePlus 7T, uh, 7 Pro, I mean. And again, there wasn't a huge difference. It was definitely faster on her iPhone now. That's crazy. So I did a bit of digging, and it turns out that there, there's three tiers of service on LTE on Verizon. What? There, yes, in terms of speed. And in the lowest tier, and they're cost different, of course, in the lowest tier, they, they get this, they limit more, like tethering to 600 kilobits per second. I've never heard of and this. And so her family went, you know, oh, unlimited data. This is for their three unlimited plans. They said, oh, unlimited data, we'll take that. We'll take the cheap option. But they didn't read the fine print. And the fine print says that they prioritize network performance based on who's in that area and who's got you know, who's got what plan. And if you have the, the lower tier plan, they throttle you. If the rest of the users are on higher tier plans and need the data, the bandwidth, and they cap your tethering at 600k per second. And her big issue was mostly tethering. She says, everything else is good enough for me, but the tethering just doesn't seem to work. It was so much better on AT&T. And I'm like, that's weird. So we did some tests at tethered and sure enough, it's totally caps it off at like half a megabyte. And I'm like, that's unusable. And so I told her, I said, you need to talk to your family about uh, upping yourself at least to the mid-tier plan that doesn't seem to have some of these restrictions, especially on tethering. And this blows my mind that a carrier is still throttling speed and performance, but still calling these plans unlimited. We are so, you know, lucky to have wow. T-Mobile in a way. Like, did you know this? This is insane. No, and I, I guess like you, you really need to read the fine print. I'm, I'm blown away. Um, especially since Verizon is expensive, you know, yeah. I'm sure that even if she's, she's on the lower tier plan, it's probably still pricey. Well, that's what I'm thinking. And so I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So just, you know, I look, I don't want to sound like a T-Mobile fangirl, but I'm going to, because like, yes, there are issues with T-Mobile in terms of coverage still, it's gotten way better, but like San Francisco T-Mobile is really solid it used to be kind of bad in the mission but it's gotten better now but it's i have no issues in bay area but here in portland because i'm in portland right now it's really not that great with t-mobile it's like hit and miss i have to have a cell spot which is their t-mobile nano cell or whatever pico cell their little box that gives you better signal in your house um in my in my home here because it just doesn't live up to what I expect and I've talked to John John Ledger directly about this I said John when are Portland gonna get good service and he gave me this like oh come on it's not that bad I'm like have you been actually there? it is <laughs> and I'm like it's bad I'm like fix it and he's like okay well you know we're rolling out blah 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 the usual marketing but look it's not perfect with Timo but if you are a customer that is suffering from whatever ailment, whether it's, you know, these bigger carriers like Verizon AT&T screwing you over or Sprint's terrible network, whatever, consider Timo simply because if you have good coverage where you live and work and spend most of your time, it's, it's much more affordable and you get roaming for free if you travel a lot. That's also maybe something you don't care about. But I think it's very important for me and for you, right, Lena? Uh, yeah, I, I just to echo what you said, though, if you are considering T-Mobile, um, don't trust the coverage map. No, um, exactly. You really need to test this for yourself. 
Yeah, because like I was just in Nashville last week and T-Mobile service was pretty bad. And I was shocked because I was in the center of the city. Um, yeah. And the, I mean, in New York, it's it's great. Um, I've been to all sorts of places around the country where it's great. But then you have random urban areas where the coverage map says that it's good, but it's really not. And it's the same with Portland. And I've heard that of other cities as well. Uh, Seattle's pretty good because their headquarters in Bellevue. So it's right across the lake. Um, but look, the reality is it's a good deal and they don't screw you around with this kind of throttling and stuff. And I find that when you have good signal on Timo, the network performance is incredible. You tether and you're like, wow, 40, 50, 60 megabits per second consistently if you have good bars of signal. So my biggest issue as a Timo customer and fangirl, I will be honest, is is that going to change? Is there going to be an increase in cost, decrease in quality of service or quality of customer service? Because we haven't talked about customer service. I don't think I've had a bad experience with T-Mobile since John Ledger has been on board. And I've had some issues. And customer service has always gone above and beyond. I don't think I'm on a special list or anything. They don't know who I am when I call them, you know? What about you? Uh, so I did have lots of issues with T-Mobile before John got on board. Oh, yeah, me too. Before John, yeah. And I left, went to AT&T, was completely fed up. Um, then I came back to T-Mobile. Um, and it's it's gotten a whole lot better. So I, I would agree with you on that one. Um, it's it, They pretty much pick up right away. They're always friendly. Um, they follow through. They, they are doing a really good job now. For me, it's mostly... I, I love dealing with them on Twitter. They're super responsive. Like, they're on Twitter, like, instantly. You have an issue... You just ping them on Twitter and they'll DM you and you'll resolve it. And they, they'll call you and get your number and info. And it's just amazing. Um, but okay, let's back to my analogy of Virgin America and Alaska. So I was a Virgin America customer, which there are some brands and I don't like, I don't want to sound like a marketing person, but there are some brands out there who get it right. Okay. Timo right now is one of them. Uh, Tesla is one of them. Apple's one of them. Uh, and Virgin America was one of them. Virgin America was the best airline in the U.S. by a huge long shot if you were in one of their nodes, like one of their hubs. In San Francisco was one of them. New York was a good place for that. But if you were like in, you know, Alabama, and Virgin America wasn't going to be your thing. But the reality was they were an incredible airline. And when they announced that they were getting, that they're merging with Alaska, or Alaska kind of did basically, like took them over. It was a hostile takeover, basically. Even Richard Branson yep. was like blogged about it and said, like, this is a bad idea. This is going to, the outcome of this is going to be terrible. And the end result is here we are three years later or whatever. And they've basically wiped out Virgin. There's none of the thing that made Virgin so awesome. Even their planes are going away because Alaska is a Boeing only airline and they still have these Airbuses from Virgin America because they have the leases still. As soon as the leases expire, they're letting these planes go. They've repainted some of them, but they haven't even bothered changing the interiors. And as a former Virgin America, um, you know, status person, I it was a nightmare going to Alaska. Instantly, I started having issues with delayed flights, bad customer service. It was just, and and I dropped everything and went to United, not because I like United better, to be honest, but because I had already got United. I had a United pool of miles for my international travel because Virgin America didn't really do international travel. They didn't have good partners for that. So I had United ready and instead of having two pools, I consolidated everything in one pool. And now I get to fly, you know, United sometimes, which sucks. But most importantly, I get to fly with foreign airlines 
in business class, which is fantastic uh, as a United partner. But the point I'm making is that for me, I was very, very upset and trepidous about this merger. And I think that I'm also very trepidous and upset about this merger with Print and T-Mobile because although here I'm on the other side, I'm on the, I'm on the product that's the bigger, most popular product, this is also the, the better product than Sprint, right? So I think I'll be okay. But on the other on the other merger, I knew that I wasn't going to be okay because I was on the better product, but I certainly not the most popular product. So um, I think some Sprint customers are probably feeling that too. They Maybe they've had really good experiences with Sprint. They really like it. And they, they're worried that going to T-Mobile is going to change things. My biggest concern is like that Boeing Airbus thing I talked about with with the last guy in Virgin America, there's a the big incompatibility in technologies with Sprint and T-Mobile merging, because T-Mobile is a GSM only carrier. It has, you know, two G, three G, and LTE that is purely GSM, whereas Sprint is a mixed mode uh, network. It's got LTE, which is GSM, but then it's got CDMA for 3G, 2G, and worse enough, their CDMA is not like Verizon CDMA that can use a SIM card to work. You actually, if you switch phones on the print, you actually have to go to their website or go to a store and physically swap that MEID over. Otherwise, your 2G and 3G service don't work. And I think even your LTE service doesn't work if you swap SIMs. Yeah, I've been wondering about all those things you just said as well. So that's my, my concern is like, how are they going to merge these two things? Now, I know that T-Mobile is kind of being hostile in its acquisition here in some ways because they want the spectrum, right? They probably don't care so much about the Sprint customers. It's kind of like Alaska. They wanted the hubs. They wanted the access to the airport terminals and to the routes. And they they stole that basically by that by taking that that on. But, you know, so I would be a little trepidous as a Sprint customer, but I think it's going to benefit them because they need to go away from this antiquated, terrible technology that doesn't let them swap phones easily and stuff, right? Yeah. So that's kind of my take, but... At the same time, it's such a weird, incompatible world, these two. Yeah. I'm worried that the growing <laughs> pains are going to make everything bad, you know? It's certainly an odd couple, that's for sure. Yeah. And you know, when Timo and AT&T were set to merge years ago, that was the reverse. AT&T was the big dog, which is crappy service. And Timo was, even though it was pre-John Ledger, they still were, I think, a better, like a more of a boutique carrier. But the technology made sense. like. But the technology made sense, exactly. Again, although I was against it simply because, you know, T-Mobile was just a niche player then and it was going to, gonna they're going to be absorbed basically by the T-Mobile, just like Virgin got absorbed by the uh, the Alaska. And so that's the story of mergers for you folks. Beware of the mergers. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we talked about the Note 10. Um, the reason I want to go back to that is because the pre-orders are, are available. You can go and pre-order your Note 10 right now. If you want one, I think it's shipping on July, no, sorry, August 23rd is what I'm thinking. So starting August 7th, I think you'll be able to pre-order. I guess that's in line with the event that happens. And then the August 23rd delivery. So just wanted to kind of public service announcement here for those of you who are big Note fans. It's crazy that like they're doing pre-orders before the actual launch. (laughs) The times have changed, huh? You know, I actually want to talk about that for a second. It's not on the topic list, but I want to think, uh, want to get your thoughts on this. It's weird. Have you noticed how many phones are just leaking completely right out before they're even being revealed now? It's crazy. Uh, it's it's really entertaining. Um, but I think that a lot of companies are just kind of embracing it. They're like, ah, can't keep a secret anymore. 
And and you know what? They kind of win either either way because they're getting hype and build up before the product's been, even been announced. I guess, but I mean, it's, I feel like there's a balance here between things you know and things you don't know. So you get a few surprises when you get to the launch event. And and we're not getting that balance. We've gone from, you know, Apple, you don't know anything, you know, like you find out and boom, to, uh, you know, oh, well, like the Pixel 4, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, is like, we. I think we know pretty much everything there is to know about that phone now. <laughs> to the point where I've tried to stop looking at the leaks because I want to be surprised. <laughs> Well, my biggest concern, honestly, is not so much that. I mean, because Google is actually like confirming a lot of these leaks and rumors. My biggest concern is that, you know, with Google and their PR constantly changing and stuff, I'm worried that I'm just going to find out they launched the product, had an event for it, and I didn't get invited because some PR regime changed. So I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse of with my journalist friends who are, you know, have a bigger reach and have a stronger relationship with Google to make sure that I don't miss out on whatever invites are being sent out for the event because we're all assuming October but that's an awful lot of leaks and confirmed features from Google in July already. That is a very valid Three point. more months? I don't know. Maybe they're going to launch this thing in August when I'm at Burning Man. That would suck but oh well. If I were them, I would do it around the iPhone launch time to compete better. That's rough, though. That That's going to be not just iPhones going to come out then. We're going to have, you know, some phones at like IFA as well around that time. Oof. But I, I always feel like they missed the boat by launching in, in October because it's like the everybody's already run to buy the new iPhone, right? But not only that, but then they put a Snapdragon 855 in that thing. And two months later, we're in Hawaii and they show us the Snapdragon whatever the next one is, right? Yeah, Google is, it's, it's the best phone with the oldest hardware. <laughs> and not just that, I think it's the oldest hardware when it launches in the sense that not only are the chips old, but they do things like the four gigs of RAM on the Pixel 3, which is like at the time when they launched it in October last year, every high-end flagship had six or eight gigs. Like there was not, like you made a flagship, you had six gigs minimum. Even LG was putting six gigs in her phone at that point. And they're kind of stingy on the RAM. And and here they are, you know, on stage going, off. Oh, we don't need more for the four gigs. You know, we're running pure Android. It's optimized. And I'm like, no, no. screw you. <laughs> it's not. Um, I, I'm using the Pixel 3 XL and daily I'm getting frustrated um, because of the RAM limitations. It, it really slows down the phone. And and I love so much about the Pixel. The camera's phenomenal. The, U, the UI, I love the clean Android UI. I love the regular updates. But it's so frustrating when I try to launch the camera and it's freezing or when I try to switch apps and it's freezing. And I'm like, this does not happen with any of the other flagship phones that I'm using. No, I know. And that's got, and then the other thing is, you know, here we are now, I've got a phone in my pocket, uh, Xiaomi Mi 9T, which is basically flagship specs, has Snapdragon 730 in it, which is just below the 800 series, has three cameras in the rear, wide angle, tele, regular, with that crazy 48 megapixel Sony IMX 582, 586 sensor that's on everything, has 4,000 4, milliamp hour battery, has a glass back, has a headphone jack, has, you know, Pretty NFC everything and cost three hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. Okay, like I do not think Google has any excuses to have a. I mean, the camera is amazing, but I don't want just a single lens. I want that creativity options. I want 
I want to have what I can do with a OnePlus 7 Pro or, or Galaxy S10 or a, you know, what's becoming the standard or even trickling down to $350 phones right now. It's like, why don't you give me that? And then, you know, like, I mean, it looks like it's going to have two cameras on the back on the Pixel 4 now, maybe three. It's hard to tell. We're not sure. But if it was just two, I'd be pissed again because it's like, it's like that's last year's stuff, right? Well, they're, they're kind of, they kind of play the Apple game because Apple's always behind most of the other flagship flagship carriers right like so they're, they're not that different um but it does seem like they're even like hardware wise they've even fallen behind apple um which is which is something <laughs> all in itself um but at the end of the day the pixel is still one of my favorite phones no it's it's a great experience i absolutely agree but you know uh ultimately we'll see what happens the latest rumors, and not rumors actually, because Google actually posted about this, the, the, it looks very clear that the Pixel 4 will have uh, the first implementation of a face unlock feature on an Android phone that actually is secure, meaning that there's many, many phones with face unlock uh, Android phones today, including some that use a, uh, a proper time of flight, you know, like 3D sensor, like the... LG G8, like the Mate 20 Pro from Huawei, like the Oppo Find X. They all use a proper like 3D scanner that's very similar to what's on the iPhone. But none of these phones, including the cheaper phones that just use a normal front-facing camera on Android, are able to securely unlock your phone because it's not baked into the OS. And what I mean by securely is if you've ever had a phone, an Android phone, you've tried to do face unlock and then do a payment, it will ask you to either use your fingerprint or type in your PIN to unlock for payment, even though you just unlocked it with your face because it's not considered a proper secure unlock. So there's kind of two levels of unlock on Android phones because of that. One is just to unlock your phone and one is to unlock payments on your phone. And fingerprint does both, but Face ID so far only does the first and not payments. And so... What we're looking at here with the Pixel 4 series is that finally something like Face ID on the iPhone might be used and it might be the only way to unlock with biometrics, meaning there might not be a fingerprint reader under the display. There's certainly not on from the leaks a fingerprint reader in the back of the phone. And so there could still be one in the display, but I have a feeling this is going to be like the iPhone 10 series. It's going to be the first Android phone with only Face ID and it's going to be secure face ID baked into the OS that lets you tap to pay with your face. And I'm excited about that. I think you're probably right. What do you think? Are you excited about that? You're an iPhone user, right? Actually, I'm, I'm no longer an iPhone user. Um, so you switched to the Pixel permanently? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, wow. And But it wasn't without frustrations. And one of the things that was hard for me in the beginning was giving up face ID. So that's exciting to you, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I can't wait to get back to it. Um, but I, I think you're, and I think you're probably right that they probably are giving up the fingerprint reader. Really, once you have face ID and if it's a reliable face ID, you absolutely don't need that fingerprint reader. And I agree 100%. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. This is the future. You know, David Ruddock from Android Police has been tweeting about this saying, screw you all with your uh, fingerprint scanners this is the way to go and i agree like it's a bit of an adjustment if you're an android user I'll, I'll give you that but once you have like i've used iphones with it and once you have it it's like of course it's the way to do it and there's only one scenario in which i see this being a pain 
And that's if you have a fingerprint reader on the back of your phone today, like the Pixel 3 series do. Um, but as, as you know, not many flagships have it in the back anymore. Now it's all under the display. So this only applies to a few flagships like the Pixels, the current Pixels. What I love is that I reach in my pocket, right? My phone is always like face towards my thigh and back towards the, the pocket, right? So I just slide my hand in my pocket and I touch the fingerprint reader with my index as I pull out my phone. And by the time, even before I look at it, it's unlocked, right? That's a very good point. That is the only time that I like to have a fingerprint reader, but it has to be on the back of the phone for that to work. Yeah, I hate it when it's on the front of the phone. I find it horribly unergonomic, yeah. I mean, the rear is the way to go or face unlock. And when face unlock works like it does on the iPhone 10 series as well, that by the time you will look at the phone, it'll be unlocked. My only gripe with the iPhone is that you still have to swipe up. Um, what I'm hoping is that there is a way so that you're like literally looking at your home screen by the time you stop, look, by the time you look at the screen. You know what I'm saying? You're not even having to swipe up. It's like you're in there. I hope, I hope you're right. That would be the way to go. I would say though, if anyone can pull it off, Google can. Yeah, and actually I thought they were gonna do it for the Pixel 3 last year. Remember all these leaks of these massive tub size uh, um, notch? I was like, yeah, I didn't think that second camera was a wide angle for the front-facing selfie stuff. I thought it was a, that that kind of 3D sensor like Face ID on the iPhone, and they were actually going to give us true Face ID. But no, it didn't happen, and maybe it's finally happening this year. So that's actually confirmed by Google. The other thing they confirmed is that they have that Soli chip, S-O-L-I, for uh, that's basically a fancy radar chip that lets you uh, detect gestures, kind of like what the LG G8 did, but instead it'll work, right? <laughs> Hopefully. Um, I personally don't care about that, but I can see myself, you know, maybe when you have, uh, you're cooking in the kitchen, you want to silence the phone or, you know, silence an alarm to just like, you know, do a, a gesture in front of the phone with your handful of flour or something and it, it would recognize it. But as you know, on the G8, which I reviewed for you, it's terrible. It's impossible. It's unusable. Yeah, that was a very bad first experience for that type of technology. I mean, I just couldn't recommend it. So ugh. we'll see how it goes. But that's the latest Pixel 4 news, folks. Uh, we're still on track, hopefully, for a October launch at this point. We're not sure. Um, moving on to other interesting news. We talked about MediaTek earlier, and MediaTek launched a new chip, the Helio G90 and G90P. I have to dig... Um, in a little bit to find out what the exact differences are for it. And I'm going to put in the show description a whole bunch of links about everything we talked about, including one to Hadley Simon's uh, Android Authority. Hadley is one of my favorite writers when it comes to like the bolts and nuts of chips. And I, that story will tell you everything you need to know. Basically, MediaTek launched a new chip for phones, like SOC, that's competing directly with the high-end um Qualcomm chips in terms of gaming. So this is a gaming optimized Helio chip, the G90 and G90P. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it performs in real life. The, the On paper, it looks incredible. And Xiaomi has already committed that they're going to offer a gaming phone using that chip. Sorry, the, the other chip is not the G90P, but the G90T. So G90 and G90T. And you know, Xiaomi makes the Black Shark series of gaming phones. And so they've committed they're going to make a gaming phone with this chip already. So let's see if the next Black Shark has that feature or if 
like Xiaomi likes to do, they spawn off another brand to do this. Who knows? What are, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, well, I think it's great that uh, Qualcomm gets some competition. Um, but it's also interesting that Xiaomi is, is using this because they made such a big deal at MWC about them working with Qualcomm. And it was like they were so proud. They were gushing. And, and a couple months later, they're like, and now we're working with MediaTek. So it just seems a little bit awkward. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, so as you know, you know, there's a P90 from Helio and this is a G90. And as you know, there is a Snapdragon 730, which I discussed earlier. It's in that Xiaomi Mi 9T phone that is a pseudo flagship at $350. So that there is a Qualcomm Snapdragon 730G, which is a gaming optimized version of 730. So I think you can think of the Helio G90 is to the P90 what the 730G from Qualcomm is to the 730 non-G. And I could we could be wrong. This chip could possibly compete in terms of performance with the Snapdragon 800 series. But I, I think probably not knowing MediaTek because, you know, their bread and butter is kind of like, you know, they, they always are a competitive on pricing. And I think that from what I've read so far, it looks like this is more of a 730 series competitor. But it's good news because MediaTek makes some good stuff. I, I had a chance to visit their... Uh, uh, the headquarters in Taipei last November. Uh, if you go back in the shows, you'll see that there's an episode where I interviewed some of the executives at MediaTek, and Hadley was actually on that show as well from Android Authority, the, the, my my go-to chip expert, as I like to call him. And, uh, you know, they showed us some cool stuff. And so I like competition, and I kind of think of as, as, as MediaTek as the underdog, and I like having an underdog, you know? For sure. Yeah, it's healthy for this. It's healthy for the ecosystem. All right, something you wrote about the Honor 9X from um, Huawei Honor is official. Um, there's been rumors that that phone was coming out July 23rd, and it did. It's uh, it's incredible for three hundred and twenty dollars, but we will never see the light of day for it, right? <laughs> or most likely, we won't. Yeah, at this point, we won't. Yeah, it it sounds like uh, Honor is not really focused on on the U.S. for these devices anymore. Um, so sucks for us, but it looks like really really incredible phone for the price. I mean, it's sure. it's it's beautiful. It's got a really really nice feature set. It's I mean, not that that we have we certainly have a lot of good phones caught around the three hundred four hundred dollar price range in the U.S. now, but this one looks like it would have been a really really sweet addition. I agree. And sorry, you didn't write this, actually. Andre wrote this. That's correct. But, but I was like, this is a geek spin story, and I thought I'd just put it in there. I What I like about it is that it looks like it's got that new Kirin chip, that 800 series that, that was announced that no other phone has that chip yet. And then it has a pop-up camera like the Xiaomi Mi 9T that I keep talking about, the $350 phone. So again, this fits in well in terms of specs and price. With, and it's so uh, pretty. And it's beautiful, yeah. Uh, it fits in well with these Chinese phones in the 300 300 to $400 range that are basically pseudo-flagships, uh, or what I like to call them affordable or cost-effective flagships. They're almost as good as a flagship. Uh, and you, you consider that, you know, in, in the U.S., like, if you want to spend 300 to $400, you're only going to be able to get, like, a Moto G7 Plus or something, uh, you know. I mean, you can import these phones, but... 
my point is to get all the band support for Timor and whatever. Like it's it's kind of like the difference is is pretty drastic in terms of the bang for your buck on these phones. Of course, they're all very heavily skins. Like that Xiaomi that I'm talking about, I love it. It's fantastic for the money. It's super shiny in the back too. It has this really cool pattern, just kind of like the Honor 9X. But it's um very uh you know very skinned and so is a uh, Huawei's not too bad, but it's still Honor Huawei's kind of the same. This phone looks really great. Last year, the 8X didn't really come to the US either. And for the money, I thought it was a great phone. I got a chance to use it on that MediaTek trip to Taiwan. Since it didn't support US bands, 3G and 4G, but it, it worked in Taiwan properly. So I actually got to use it for the week I was in Taiwan. And that was kind of like my 8X experience last year. Because the high-end chips from Huawei, the Kirin's 900s and stuff, they support uh, US bands. Uh, the, the modems are pretty broad in terms of their US or sorry, international roaming coverage. But the um, the cheaper chips like the 7 and 600 series that Kirin's, they didn't do that. So the 8X didn't work in the US unless you, um, you know, I think you had to buy like a certain SKU, which is not what I got as a review unit. And then this 800 series hopefully is a new chip that has a modem that supports more bands so that maybe when that phone comes out we can buy gray market on on gearbest which is one of my partners for if you want to buy a cheap phone i've got all kinds of gearbest deals you should check that out uh and then you know uh we'll see how it happens maybe it'll even end up on amazon right yeah i i, I remember the honor 7x and it was such a great phone for the, for money. the money at the time yeah definitely and um yeah, I, I think, I don't know. I think this is great. I like, I'm really gung-ho right now about that $300, $400 price point. Those phones that pack almost the full-on specs. And, you know, some of them, like the, the Redmi K20 Pro is a clone of the Xiaomi Mi 9T, but with a Snapdragon 855 for $50 more. So it's all, it's on paper a flagship, basically. Um so it's kind of amazing how Xiaomi has all these different brands and, and you know, in a way, Huawei and Honor have these different brands and they kind of repackage the phones and it's just fascinating to me. I kind of, kind of love it secretly. Yeah, maybe not so secretly since I'm telling you all. <laughs> uh, Android, Google, has a new Android Auto update that came out and apparently it's a bit of a revamp of the interface. Um... I'm not using Android Auto or CarPlay in my cars because, well, all my cars are old except for my Tesla. My Tesla doesn't support Android uh, Auto or CarPlay because there's honestly a much better built-in system. And with the Tesla app, I can fire off things to the system. So if I'm looking at my Google Maps on my Pixel 3 XL and I want to go somewhere, I look it up on Google Maps and I can just send it to the car. And it nav in the car has it. So I don't really need the support of these but have you used any vehicles with uh, android I, I have um and i always felt that android auto had was kind of behind apple carplay it just wasn't as intuitive so i think that this was a much needed update um it, it just it's cleaner um and it's also better for multitasking there were just some things where android auto failed um and i think they finally addressed it yeah, I hear that one of the things about this is that it supports non-touch screens much better. So, like, if you have one of those cars that has, like, that weird little hockey puck thing in the center console that, you know, you can move around or has, like, uh, one of those, like, uh, Lexus has this thing where, like, it's like a joystick. Um, you can actually use that. it now, uh, which is really cool. Um Again, I don't have much practical experience, even though I don't need it in my life because, like I said, my Tesla system is really great and I can interface through the app with it. 
Um, I do understand that for some people, this is a great solution. And honestly, considering most in-car entertainment systems kind of suck, having Android Auto or CarPlay is a really good option and I support it wholeheartedly. So them updating it and making it more broad and, and catching up more with um, you know, Apple CarPlay, I think is a, is good news. So I'll link to an article by my friend uh, Roberto Baldwin on Engadget. Roberto does all the car coverage over there. He's actually going to be on my podcast in, uh, in August sometime. We're going to have a EV special where we're just going to talk about all the electric cars that are out now and all the ones that are coming and what we think of the state of EVs because this is a mobile tech podcast. It's about mobile tech and mobile tech, sometimes you can step into it instead of putting it in your pocket. So... Stay tuned for that. Roberto will be on. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple of more things I want to quickly talk about. The one that kind of stuck out for me was Oppo um, releasing a prototype phone with a, they claim has more than 100% as a screen to body ratio. My... I mean, I'm a, I have a math degree, so maybe I'm looking at it like in a, in a very kind of non-marketing sense here, but more than 100% screen to body ratio doesn't compute. I, I, I reacted the same way. Um, but hey, this is Oppo we're talking about, right? Um, I, maybe something got lost in translation. I don't know. Um, either way, it looks really the concept. Even if it's at a hundred percent, which is most likely what they're talking about, would be amazing. Yeah. And it is. I mean, yeah. basically, what they're saying is that the screen. You know how the the Samsung and the uh, the, the Galaxy phones, the most recent ones, like since the seven, and then the um, the uh, OnePlus Seven Pro have that, and and the P thirty Pro and the Mate Twenty Pro have the display that kind of like curves around to the edges, right? A little bit like kind of has that edge thing. Um, imagine taking that to the next level and making it almost like a, a complete 90 degree bend. It's I think 80 degrees in this phone. So basically when you look at the screen from the front, if you have very, very small top and bottom bezels, then you don't see an edge at all on the edge anymore. Like the, the left and right sides are just glass and screen all the way to the edge. And the reason they're calling it more than 100% is because then it, it waterfalls into, into the side of the phone way more than Samsung does. So basically you have actually have five millimeter or whatever, maybe not five, but two or three millimeter of screen actually on the side of the phone. And I'm like, do you really want that? <laughs> I'm skeptical. I mean, do you think it's just a party trick? I, it's until I see it in like a real, <laughs> a real device, I, I can't make a, give a verdict. Yeah, it just looks really weird to me. So I'm just like, I think it's just uh, the way they're they're marketing it, just making me like cringe a little bit. I welcome experimentation, though. I welcome us trying new things. And my biggest concern here is obviously that Oppo is just doing it to show off, and that when we finally get phones with it, imagine dropping that on its side. Yeah. Well, that's I feel can't like that's, be a good thing. That's like. 75% of the phones out there right now. At least the I mean, flagship. it's already like that, right? Because yeah. of the kind of waterfall edges that Samsung has. But imagine if it's almost the entire side is glass. It's just like, oh, ouch. All these phones are beautiful and they all have to go in cases. <laughs> That's all. Which is there sad, is to right? It, it is. It is. <sighs> it's, it's, which personally, I actually don't like curved edged phones. Neither do um, I. 
I mean, they're they're beautiful and and they seem they seem fun at first, but then I rather just have a flat display. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like I'd rather have very thin bezel and a flat display because at this point I don't really need to see. It gives me the edges always give you that these optical aberrations, right? Like you have the weird reflections and things, and then you have the you know the 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 what's it called the accidental touches that you get on the edge all the time, right? Yeah, that's. Uh, it. I mean. The software takes good care of it on good phones, but on some phones, it's not so good. And so that bugs me. And I'm not sure. But I mean, look, Oppo and Vivo do some cool stuff. They're kind of sister companies with OnePlus. So perhaps we'll see a OnePlus phone like this in the future, for better or for worse. But there it is. And we had to talk about it because, hey, you know, this is a phone show. Come on. So the last bit of news, well, second to last, is... The red hydrogen fiasco, I like to call it, because do you remember that phone, the red hydrogen? Yes, that was. <laughs> I never used it. I asked for a review unit, they wouldn't send me one. But that was after all the terrible reviews, so they probably didn't want to send anyone to anybody anymore. I got to play with it from one of our colleagues, um, and it, what a disaster. I mean, it was not as advertised. Um, <laughs> It was like, it, I feel like that was the joke phone of, of last year. Yeah, so much hype, so expensive, so under spec because it came out with a Snapdragon 835, I think. And, and it had, um, you know, it's red, the camera maker, the best moving picture cameras today are probably red. And, you know, digital video cameras for like movie production. And yeah, I mean, Marquez uses them for you. A lot of YouTubers have money use them. Uh, even though they don't, they shoot at 8K, they, they downscale to 4K because they get, you know, the option to crop and zoom and scale better. Uh, it's amazing. And so, you know, we were hoping this thing would have a crazy camera, at least, you know, a built-in one that was decent and then have these optional modules for using red parts that would be very expensive but give the phone some modularity. And that was kind of the ticket. That was what they were advertising. And of course they delivered this phone that was under spec, really huge, really expensive, totally overhyped. And the camera performance on the built camera was abysmal. I mean we're talking worse than any flagship at the time. And then they they didn't even launch that camera module that everybody wanted. And so now, you know, after all this disaster and the terrible reviews, they finally did two things, which I think is outrageous and it's so red. It's like they blame their manufacturing partner in China for messing up the built-in camera. Come on, take responsibility, guys, okay? That's pathetic. Your manufacturer just did what they were told to manufacture, okay? It's, it's really pathetic. Um, they should just keep their mouth shut. And if I were, if I were them, I'd just like, give up while I'm ahead. And like, really, anyone who's entering the smartphone business right now, you, you are, you've got to be pretty crazy. Um, and then the fact that they aren't a smartphone company and they failed so miser miserably the first time around, like just give up all your head and just, just leave gracefully. Yeah, absolutely. And then of course they announced on top of that, that they were launching a new phone soon. So not only did they insult their manufacturer, their partner, but they actually went ahead and said, oh, we're going to redouble down and make another phone and that one will be better. Trust us. And if you're a resisting customer, we'll give you a really good discount. Oh, my God. And, oh, oh that module, that camera module that is our in-house camera module, we're going to make it. It's coming. And I'm like, just give up. Just focus on making great digital motion picture cameras for the industry and for the rich YouTubers that can afford them. Okay? Like, that's what you do well. Just do that. Yeah. 
Don't give up your day job. Oh, Jesus. Why does everyone want to make a phone and when they do, it sucks? It's like Razer. Why are you making a phone? Yeah, I was thinking of Razer too. Um, every time I, I see Red, any story about them, I think of Razer. Even though Razer didn't do quite as bad a job um, as they no. did. Because Razer inherited the uh, next bit. Remember Robin, the next bit phone? The folks from Google and HTC who left Google and HTC to create their little crowdfunding campaign and made that really cute little colorful phone called the next bit Robin. And then they got acquired by Razer. That's why the Razer has that industrial design. But then they turned it, they, they razored it, what I like to say, it, mm -hmm. by making it black and matte and ugly looking. Because the, the next bit was kind of cute. Next bit was adorable. Yeah, and then they, they went and made it like this big black monolith of doom. Yeah, it retained a lot of the industrial design, but with the wrong color scheme, it just doesn't look right. Ugh, anyway, I could go on. I'm just sick and tired. Like gaming phones, I just, I wrote a story on Android Police. I, I linked to it last week, I think, in the week before, maybe even recently, about the, the, the Nubia Red Magic 3, which is a gaming phone, and how awesome it is for the money. But my review, it wasn't really a review. It was more like a, a little mini review. And, and I decided to review it purely as a non-gaming phone, like as a flagship. I was like, this has flagship specs. It costs $479. It's amazing for the money. What if you don't want a game? What if you buy it purely as a flagship and you want to use it as a everyday phone? And it turns out it was a fantastic experience. It was a real, ex the only thing that sucked was no NFC, but... If you don't use Apple, Android, whatever, Google Pay, you're fine. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the Razer is discounted at 500 now. But when you look at how much worse the Razer is as a phone, as a gaming phone even, you're like, why? Like the Chinese are going to own the gaming phone market. And maybe they're going to duke it out with the Taiwanese like Asus, you know, with the recently announced ROG Phone 2. But I don't think that Razer has a leg in this. They, they, should fold, they should just fold out of the phone business right now while they can still do it, in my opinion. I agree. It's, it's ridiculous. Let the Chinese duke it out because you'll never be able to beat them. So there you go. Um, the last bit of news is about me, damn it. No, that sounds <laughs> terrible. But it's about the fact that I was kind of just kind of brainstorming some ideas back a couple of weeks ago. And I came up with a scoring system that I'm going to start using mostly on Twitter. I don't think I'm going to score things directly on the podcast here because it takes a little bit of time to get into the details. But I want to go over it really quickly. Basically, the scoring system, I'm not a big fan of scoring systems. I feel that they're like problematic at best. But I decided to create something that I think might work. And the way it works is it's a scale from 0 to 10. And every device I review starts by default at 5 points, so in the middle. And then they lose or gain points for each category. So they lose a half a point if they're bad at something. They gain a half a point if they're good at something. And they don't get or lose points if things are kind of in the middle somewhere, like kind of meh. And so the categories I score on are um, hardware, display, camera, audio, network, performance, battery, software, price. And then I have a bonus. So in total, that makes it 10 categories. And the bonus is interesting. The bonus is basically there that if there is something that really stands out that doesn't fall in any of these categories or does fall in these categories, but it's so outstanding that I really need to give extra points, I can. Or that it's so outrageously bad that I need to remove extra uh, half a point, I can do it there. So I'll give you an example. When I scored the Nokia 9, pure view, I, I removed, I, the bonus was a negative 0.5, like, 
a minus bonus on the, the terrible, terrible in-display fingerprint reader that never, never, ever works. So, you know, uh, I, I, I rated a few phones now with this. Um, I rated, um, and I'll give you the scores. And I think it actually works, Elena. For the first time, I feel that I, when I did this, I didn't, I didn't even know if it would work. Like I was like, I'm going to throw this out on Twitter, get lots of feedback and criticism, and probably this is going to fail miserably when I actually apply it to phones in real life. But no, it was okay. So here are my rank, my rankings. Um, the Galaxy S10 Plus got an eight out of ten that way. The uh, iPhone XS Max got a seven out of ten that way. The um, Huawei P3 Pro got seven and a half out of ten. Um, and there is more. Um, I need to look them up. But what do you think of scores in general? I mean, I write reviews for your publication, Geekspin, and you're scoring, right? You score out of five, right? Yes, that's correct. And how do you feel that is best to evaluate scoring for your site? Well, your system is very interesting, and, and I, I definitely can appreciate it. Um, it's different than, than the way we were, because we're, we're pretty like standard, I guess you could say, with the rest of the industry. Um, but I find it very interesting how you arrived at like this new this scoring system, um, and the final scores that you just mentioned for those some of those phones, um, they were a little lower than I would have expected based on that method methodology. But your methodology actually sounds really sound. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to keep this going. That's why I'm bringing it up on the podcast. I kind of mentioned this Tinkle. It's called the Tinkle Score T N K G R L Score hashtag one word. Um, and I bring it up because I, I kind of want your feedback, um, the audience, the listeners. I want to go jump on, jump on Twitter and tell me what you think. Tell me if this is a completely crazy idea. It's just not going to fly. Um, and, well, and, you know, sorry to cut you off, but like, okay, the P30 Pro, um, and we, we haven't reviewed it on Geekspin, but what is the average rating for it out on the internet? Like eight-ish. Okay, usually. and you gave it a seven and a half. Yeah, and I will tell you why actually. So hardware was a thumbs up, so it's, it got it got an extra like a half point extra over the five for that. Display was a thumbs up, camera was a thumbs up, audio was a thumbs down because no headphone jack. Network was a meh because it's missing some US bands, but it got a lot of bands and it's fine. Performances was a thumbs up because it's super fast. Battery was a thumbs up because battery life is great. Software was uh, meh because EMUI, I'm not a big fan, but it's gotten better. Price was meh because the price is still high, even though it's not as high as some other flagships. And then the bonus was a thumbs up because I gave it out. Uh, I put a comment next to it, outstanding camera and battery life. So the bonus I applied to kind of give it a boost because I felt that it needed it. But, you know, again, I'm trying to figure out here, the Pixel 3 XL, I got seven out of 10. Um, and then the, uh, Nokia, oh, the OnePlus 7 Pro got 8.5 out of 10. It's actually my highest rated one right now. And the, uh, which is interesting because that's not necessarily how I feel. Like, and if I look like emotionally and I look at the phones, I'm like, I might want a P30 Pro versus a OnePlus 7 Pro in my pocket. But at the same time, if I, you know, scores should be applied based on some kind of methodology and the, the methodology, I got that. The Nokia 9 PureView got a 6.5 out of 10. So I think the, what I'm realizing is the scale is skewed towards the upper half because for a phone to get less than five, it would be, you know, because they all start with five, it would be almost impossible today because I, I don't think they make phones that are that bad. 
Right. Especially if you're focusing mostly on flagships. So I'd love your feedback and I'd love to, um, you know, see where it goes. I will, every time I get a new phone from now on, I'm going to try to rate it that way and then we'll see how it goes. And for all I know, this is clearly not going to fly, but I, I just want to put it out there because, uh, you know, it's uh, just had this moment. I was just like, oh, let's see if this works. Uh, well, I appreciate it, it. I appreciate you thinking outside of the reviewer's typical box. Because, you know, scoring is tough. I don't like to put things in categories and boxes as much as, as some people do. You know, like a non-tech is super, you know, you know, they do very objective testing. I respect them for that. They, you know, for a 20, what is 23,000 word review on the, oh on the Galaxy S10 or the iPhone or whatever. It's like insane. They really go deep. Um, it's not really who I am. I mean... The way I write my reviews for Geekspin is kind of per actually a good fit for me. That's why I, I, I like working with you, Elena, is because you, we are, we're kind of, you know, we let subjectivity in there if needed, and we're trying to be objective, but we, you know, emotional uh, response to a phone does matter. It does. And it's a very personal thing, right? I think, and you know, I, what we were saying about the Pixel, like, uh, I'm using the Pixel now currently as my primary phone. Um, and I love the OnePlus 7 Pro too. I have, they're both my, they're both my go-tos right now. But the Pixel hardware, I don't think it would score that well. <laughs> um, it probably wouldn't get, a, it probably would never get a 9 into in 2019, according to your scoring system. Oh no, but, it couldn't because, you know, I try to keep software into account and photography has a big impact too as so well. So you're saying it could, it could get a good bonus and maybe it could get pushed up to like a really high score potentially. Exactly. In fact, when I, uh, if I look at the notes for my Pixel 3 XL, like the bonus was the camera, right? I mean, it got the bonus on the camera and the, the software updates. So it did get a bonus. All right, but well, it did lose a lot for not having headphone jack, for having, uh, in terms of performance with the RAM, right? That was a big, big ding there. So it lost a lot. And then it gained back a lot. So what is the score according to your scoring system? Uh, I have to look it up again. I think it was seven or seven and a half. I think it's seven and a half. Let me, let me okay. bring it up again. So, so but based on that, that sort of like thinking, you gave it a seven and a half, yet we both still love the phone. So it just shows that you can't... Like, it's so hard, you, right? It, right? It's, it's like you said, it's subjective. Um, there's emotion. There's, there's so many things going on that like a rating doesn't always say everything. Exactly. And, you know, I respect people want to do benchmarks and stuff, but I, again, I feel like that's kind of why I like writing reviews for, for Geekspin is because like, you, we don't worry about benchmarks. We really worry about, you know, what's it like to use every day? What's your, you know, what's, how are you going to feel about the phone in these different categories more than how is it on absolute value right now? Because if you look down, you know, like the Pixel 2 at one point was a great phone. Would you want one today? No. Right. Like, I mean, because the, sh the ship has sailed as it were. Right. For sure. And that's because Google uses old hardware. <laughs> yeah. And so let's see, I'm, I'm actually going to go back to it. The Pixel. Yeah. Sorry. It was seven out of 10. So, you know, uh, not doesn't look that good on paper, but at the same time, you know, it, it's a good reflection today because should you buy a Pixel 3 XL or 3, or 3 right now? I don't think so. I think you should wait for the Pixel 4. Or if you are needing a Pixel today, like you you have an XL and it breaks and you need a phone, it needs to be a Pixel, buy a 3A to hold you over, right? I have a 3A and it's fantastic. I, I feel like it's 95% of my Pixel 3 XL. I agree with you. I have the 3A as well. And it is a great phone for the money. Um, when I, I started to see around New York, they have those advertisements like, 
comparing it to the iPhone, like iPhone $1,000 and Pixel 3a $399. And first I was like, oh, come on, that advertising is a little bit grotesque. <laughs> and, and, and then I was like, actually, you know what? For the average person, the Pixel 3a is an excellent phone. It's an excellent way to like migrate off of iPhone um, to Android without feeling overwhelmed because the Google Google's version, clean version of Android is so clean that it's actually close to the iPhone UI or as close to the iPhone UI as you can get on Android. And it ha does everything the average person needs and which includes, you know, good battery life, a solid screen, um, everything's reliable, solid software and a great camera. And actually, yeah, most people don't need a thousand dollar iPhone. They could do just fine with the Pixel 3a. I agree. I mean, it's such an underrated phone. Like, it's just, it's intangibles you have to look at, right? Like, um, the call screening option that you don't have on anything but pixels, right? But that said, I do think that four hundred dollars for it is actually expensive. When I think you, it's too high. I think it should be three hundred, three fifty, yeah. three hundred. Yeah, I agree. Especially as time goes, it needs to go down. Um, I mean, there's been sales. There was a good sale on Prime Day, so you know. I think the um, the launch of the Pixel 4 will probably bring it down. I hope so. And hopefully we won't have to wait much longer for Pixel 4a or whatever they're going to call it. Um, the more affordable version. Although they don't want to cannibalize sales, so it might still not happen until the spring. Who knows? Uh, anyway. So um, we should wrap it up. I mentioned Gearbest earlier uh, because I've recently partnered with them. Uh, if you're looking to buy a phone at a discount, um, check out the deals. I've rekindled my blog, tankgirl.com, T-N-K-G-R-L, like my Twitter and Instagram handle, .com. And that was dormant for a number of years. And the reason I rekindled it is so that I can have like a weekly deal post. And if you're shopping for a phone every week, you can go there and have a look and say like, oh, this looks like a good phone. And maybe you can get a deal on it. Uh, and, you know, uh, I've always been a, a Amazon affiliate person too. So if you, you know, I generally link in my YouTube videos um, to deals there as well. So if you're looking for deals, I just want to let you know, this is the, the latest. I've rekindled this blog, tanko.com, and partnered with Gearbest. And I kind of mostly rekindled the, the blog to kind of have a central location for these deals rather than having like scattered them all over the YouTube and the Twitter and the and the everywhere, right? Uh, it's just easier that way. So I just want to give you a heads up for those of you who are longtime subscribers that there's one more thing you can read on the internet, tinkerl.com, tnkgrl.com. I'm also reposting all the videos and the podcasts there. So it's like a central re central repository of all my content. Um, Elena, thanks so much. Can you tell the world where they can find you with your social media handles and your various uh, URLs that you want to share and boost? Sure. Um, well, you can follow me on geekspin.co, um, not.com. <laughs> There's some confusion with that sometimes. Uh, and on Instagram, we're also geekspinco. Uh, and my personal Instagram is Helena T. Stone. Uh, we're also on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know where to find me on the internet. It's at Tankgirl on Twitter and Instagram. That's TNKGRL. Also Tankgirl.com, TNKGRL.com. It's like Tankgirl, the comic book character without the vowels. That's how you remember. And then um, YouTube.com slash Miriam Joar. Miriam Joar, my full name spelled out. If you don't know how to spell that, go to my Twitter. It's there. Uh, basically, if you type my name, full name, first and last into YouTube's search bar, you'll find my channel. Lots of unboxings, uh, some hands-on, some reviews, some interviews, that kind of stuff. Whatever I can feel like uh, putting in there. I'm also started putting the podcast 
in um, as a YouTube video inside of the uh, the channel as well, so that if you don't want to subscribe through the standard podcast apps, you can do it on YouTube. There you go. Uh, speaking of. If you do have a podcasting app and you want to listen to the show, if you just happen to stumble upon this show and you find it interesting, uh, mobiletechpodcast.com. And of course, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, a bunch of other places like that. Uh, finally, I want to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Audible sponsors this podcast and many others. But we're very happy to have them on as a long-term sponsor. If you don't know what Audible is, they're a audiobook platform. They are the audiobook platform. If you like to listen to books, maybe you can't read books because you're a delivery driver and you're busy all day driving around, dropping off those Amazon packages, and you want to listen to all kinds of good books, they're a good place to do that. Uh, also, a lot of the books are read by their authors, which I think is great. They have a really good selection. Check them out, audible.com. If you Click in the show notes in the description there. There'll be a link to a deal specifically for you folks, for the for the listeners of the Mobile Tech Podcast. You get a free month, of course, uh, to start like everybody does. But at the end of that free month, if you don't like it, you get to keep one of the books. So that's nice. But I hope you like it enough to subscribe and stay on. And uh, if you're not already an Audible um, subscriber, please consider clicking through the link so that you can give the podcast some love. Uh, it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And I want to thank Audible for being this awesome partner that we had sponsoring the show for a while now. And Elena, thanks again for being on the show, rocking it like a rock star you are. Thanks for having me as always. Absolutely. We'll have you on uh, again soon. And next week we'll have another show and then stay tuned for that. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.